There are three different ways you can get to the church. There's an offering box at the back, donations at nelsoncovenant.com, via e-transfer, and at the nelsoncovenant.com slash giving page. I'll just pray for my brother Josh here and uh, let him get on with his thing. God, thank you for Josh. Thank you for the man that you've created him to be. We pray that you would empower him today, and that you would give him strength and boldness to share what you have put on his heart. I pray that we would have open hearts to what you are saying through Josh, Lord. I pray that you would be at work today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Denis. Yes, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Josh. I am 20 years old, and I am going to Bible school in Caroline, Alberta, at a college called Clearwater Bible College. I just graduated two days ago for my second year, my second year of that, and I'm going to be continuing on to do uh, get a bachelor's in theology. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in Nelson. I went to a youth group here growing up, and I'm very familiar with any of you in the crowd. So my message today is going to be on unity in the global church, on this passage uh, stemming from 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 17. And I'll be talking about the importance of recognizing other denominations in Christianity. Because I knew, at least for me, sometimes I get lost in what's happening in my own denominational circle. I personally go to KCF. That's where I've been going my uh, whole life. And I can get lost in viewing that as the only thing that's happening in Christianity. When in reality, there are plenty of other denominations doing fantastic and wonderful things for God as well. And sometimes we can just forget to acknowledge that. So, before we get too far, I personally love opening sermons and jokes. And I hope you guys will appreciate these jokes. So, how many uh, charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Just one. His hands are already raised. How many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? It takes 10 Pentecostals. One to change the light bulb and nine more to rebuke the spirit of darkness. And how many Calvinists does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, zero. Calvinists refuse. They believe that God has predestined the light to be on or off. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Just one but it needs to get approved by three different committees, and then afterwards they all go and have potluck at the end of it. And how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? Zero. They don't believe in change. <laughs> I'm glad you guys appreciated that. I just say that in good fun and poking at the different quirks each denomination has. So, like I said prior, our idea of Christianity being limited to our just our denomination opens up the door for us to view other denominations antagonistically. And this isn't the first time it's happened in Christian circles either. So with that, I'd like to go to 1 Corinthians, uh, 10 to, 10 to 7, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 17. It says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. 
Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. So, before we get into the passage, I'm, I'm aware that you guys are starting a message on 1 Corinthians, and I'm sure that um, Jeff would have talked to you guys about the context of the Corinthian church and what Corinth was like. To reiterate, I'm just going to provide some context as well for this passage. So, Corinth was the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. It was a sin city, and it was a sailor town. So people would come to Corinth to, uh, with their sailing ventures, stay for a few weeks, go find pleasure, get back on their ships, and then leave on their next sailing venture. So it was known for a very, very immoral lifestyle and had the sailor culture associated with that. And because of this, the church in Corinth, the new church, starting just try trying to find its footing, was becoming to look more like the culture around it rather than being a light for Christ in the culture that was already there. So of all the issues they were facing, which some of them were facing cases of incest, sexual immorality, they were abusing the Lord's Supper, and they were doing terrible other things. I'm sure as you go through the first Corinthians, you're going to come to realize some of these things. Uh, but the first thing that Paul decides to actually talk about is this idea of unity and disunity in the church, which I find quite strange because there's a lot of other things that he talks about that needed to be addressed, but this was the first. And he spends the first four chapters of this book addressing this. The first one providing more of a rebuke, and then the next two, chapters 2, 3, and 4, providing more uh, resolution to how to be, live in unity with each other. So because of this, and as we read, there were four factions starting in the church. So there was the Paul faction. Yeah, there we go. And most likely these people were, would be followers of Paul. Those when Paul first planted the church, and they were going to hold only to his teaching, and the current pastor there, he didn't want much to do with his teaching, but they were just going to have their holy huddle and stay in their own little group. And then the next party that would be present would be the Apollos party. And these people were most likely members under the new pastor. Who, well, Apollos was the new pastor at the time. So these people probably would hold to his teachings more and then view the Paul party and all the other people more antagonistically and sort of stick to themselves as well. And then there was the Cephas party, which... Just a fancy word for the Apostle Peter. At this time, Apostle Peter was down in Jerusalem with the Jerusalem Council and figuring things out down there. And so these people, this is more speculation, but they were probably converted Jews at this point in time. And they were hold to more Jewish teachings and Jewish traditions that Peter would be teaching. So he, they potentially would form their own little party and reject the teaching, not reject the teachings, but not fully acknowledge the teachings of Paul and Apollos, and maybe view them more antagonistically. And then there was the Christ party. So these people probably were thinking, I don't really want to do much with these three groups, so we're just going to form our own, uh, form our own party together and uh, do away with all this stuff. And then also view them antagonistically and become no better than them. So in response to this, Paul responds with some rhetorical questions. And let's go to verses 13 to 17 as well. He says, is Christ divided or was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, 
not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So he sort of rebukes them for this mindset, targeting his own party that we're forming, saying, well, is Christ divided amongst you three or four parties? Well, the obvious answer to that is no, there was only one Christ. And was Paul crucified? Obviously not, because he wrote this letter. You had to still be alive. Um, and, were, and were you baptized in the name of Paul? Another question, another obvious no, they were not. So he's rebuking his sort of group of people, saying, why are you holding me in such high esteem and standard when it should be focused on Christ? Why are you making this quarrel sort of happen? And he rebukes them for this mindset, and then, as I said, he goes on to explain that how to live in unity with each other in the next two chapters, two, three, and four. So there are there are Christians out there today. None of none of you in this room, obviously, I wouldn't assume that, but other people out in the abyss who might be saying, "Well, you see, we live in a modern society today. This this doesn't apply to us. This was two thousand years ago, down in Greek in Corinth. They believed in gods and." went to temples to do all their worship and all these different things. They believed in these things. We're so much better than them. We put the man on the moon. We have iPhones and the internet and all these cool different things. So this clearly doesn't apply to me. Well, to that I would say, no, you're, you're probably wrong, actually. Um, truthfully, it, it does matter. Because you see, the people in the Corinthian church, they were acting out of a sin nature that they had. Sin nature that came all the way back from Adam when humanity first rebelled against God that we all have this rebellious nature in us. And that's going to be the same for Christians now, Christians back then, and Christians 2,000 years from now as well. So it, it'll affect us all, and, it, and we have to reconcile this. Thankfully, it doesn't have to be this way fully. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 26. And the first bit says this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul sorts of, well, he outlines what that sin nature in us is and gives us examples of what this activity looks like. And when we read this, back in college, our, our president preached a message on this passage. And what he said was quite profound, at least for me, was when we read this, we tend to focus on the big sins, sexual immorality, debauchery, witchcraft, drunkenness, orgies, and think of ourselves, oh, we don't participate in this. We are better than this. But they kinda, we kind of skip over the middle section, the hatred, the discord, jealousy, bits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions which is division, by the way. All of these things, the seven of the 12 that he mentions here, all deal with human relations and how we interact with each other on a daily basis. And it's almost as if maybe God foresaw that this might be an issue with humanity. And he outlined it right here. And yeah. And this underlying theme of disunity is present here. And we tend to skip over it. At least I know in my life, I've had problems with, oh, not hating people, maybe not being jealous or having fits of rage. I know I've lost my temper. I'm sure many of you can relate to this, and we're all in this boat together as we struggle to get through this, and we're not exempt from this as well. However, thankfully, 
Paul doesn't just end it right here and just continue on saying whatever he was going to say. He, uh, in verse 22, says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So I love how Paul presents the fruits of the Spirit here as an antidote to the acts of the flesh. He says that this is what we tend towards, but it doesn't have to be that way because we have the fruits of the Spirit. And in verse 25, it says that we've crucified... What? Sorry. 25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We can't do this on our own way, in our own strength, in our own passions. We need the Spirit to help us through this and to get us through this. We, we try, our best is not good enough, and we have the Old Testament to prove it. And, it's, and we cannot produce these fruits on, in our own lives uh, by ourselves. So as we grow in Christ and in the Spirit, these desires that we have are further crucified. And it is by pursuing the Holy Spirit and pursuing God that we can overcome these evil desires in us and move forward. And, yeah. So, some of you may be thinking, well, factions. That was mentioned in there. And factions and denominations, those look very, very similar. So, should we just get rid of all the denominations and just have one global church and all be united under Christ, and we all do church together. Well, no, that, that, that wouldn't be a very good idea either. Because you see, we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. We want the baby, which is the diversity in the body of Christ, but we don't want the bathwater, which is the disunity. And in the body of Christ, we, there is this unity that we have in, in diversity. We all may be able, we all may be different as the children's message may say, we all choose to do different things or have different preferences, and we choose to do church differently. But the vast majority of, de mass, vast majority of denominations are actually unified in their beliefs. And if you don't believe me, I pulled the statements of faith for the Pentecostal, Baptist, Reformed, and Presbyterian Church denominations of Canada, and I would like to read them out to you. So, for the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, this is what their denomination says. It is very, very small. I apologize. I hope I will read it slow. It says, There is one God, the Creator, who exists eternally in unity as three equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God is loving, holy, infinite, just, and worthy of all worship. The Father accomplishes his plan of salvation through both redemption and judgment. All things will be subject to him, and his kingdom will have no end. The Father sent the Son the Lord Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of Mary when she was a virgin. Jesus became fully human while remaining fully God. Anointed by the Spirit, Jesus revealed the Father in the kingdom of God by his sinless life, teaching, and miracles. After he died for our sins, God raised him from the dead, and he is now at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father through the Son and gives life throughout creation. The Spirit draws people to repentance and new life in Jesus Christ. Through the Spirit's indwelling, the Father and the Son are present to all believers, making them children of God. So when I read this, I come from a more Pentecostal, charismatic background. This is very similar to the stuff I've heard growing up. And it's very similar to the evangelical uh, statement of faith as well. 
when I preach this message at, an, at another church, I use the evangelical statement of faith, and they say very, very similar things. They highlight different aspects of God and his character, because we all view God differently, because he's so big, we can all focus on different parts of his character and just get lost in that. So they're all very similar. So now let's continue on going to the Canadian National Baptist Convention. They say this. Actually, it was a very, very large um, statement of faith. They probably had lots of committees working on that one. And I only pulled out their section on God. It says this. There is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and his perfect knowledge extends to all things past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us, to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. Now, reading the Pentecostal statement of faith and comparing that to the Baptist statement of faith, they choose to do church very, very differently, but they're all agreeing on the same truths about God. So now, let's continue. I have the Canadian and American Reformed Church churches. Theirs is, when you look at the website, they have all of the creeds as well in the uh, early church. I decided to leave those out because it isn't exactly their statement of faith. But this is what they did have to say about the Bible. It says, Our churches believe that the Holy Scripture or the Holy Bible is the Word of God. This Word has no equal because it is inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, who caused many different men to write it over a considerable period of time. It is infallible in that it is, it is a completely reliable and trustworthy book which should not and need not be doubted. It is inerrant, meaning that whatever is revealed in it is without error contradiction, or misrepresentation. It is sufficient because it fully contains the will of God and reveals all that we need to believe in order to be saved. This word represents the final rule of faith and life in our churches. We receive it for regulation, foundation, and confirmation of our faith. It serves as the basis for all authority in our churches. And reading this, I 100% agree. The Bible should be the basis of authority in the church today. And we should be looking and pursuing after the word of God as our authority. And they agree in, with very similar doctrines to all the others. Well, I can correct myself. They doctrinally differ, differ in various different ways, but they all agree on the very nature of God and the Bible being infallible and true. Now let's continue with the last one. I have the Presbyterian Church in Canada. It says this, There is one true God, whom to know is life eternal, whom to serve is joy and peace. God has created all that is. The whole universe testifies to the majesty and power of its maker. God has come to us. The Lord spoke to the people of Israel and entered into covenant with them. From Israel came Jesus Christ, the Son of God, bringing salvation through a new covenant entered by faith. The Lord continues to come to us by the Holy Spirit, God present in the world, and guide to the church, the new Israel. Therefore, with the one church universal, we believe in one God, eternal Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three, equal in power and glory. God is the Father to whom we come, the Son through whom we come, the Spirit by whom we come. So, looking at these statements of faith, we are much more similar than we are different. And often I think the enemy tries to put it the other way around, saying that we're more different than we are similar. When that is not, in fact, the case. And denominations, they aren't factions. We're all agreeing upon the very same thing. 
We choose to express it differently and we have our different interests. And each denomination has a different type of people they will attract to the faith. But we all agree on the very nature that God came to earth, there is a trinity, and he is God, and there are on all of the Christian truths. So the, the difference between a faction and a denomination is this, that factions usually are encompassed by a spirit of pride. They say, you have to conform to my standard of viewing the world and to what I have to offer, and what you're doing is wrong. And the, they, they claim that they have the right way. While denominations should have a spirit of unity. I know in church history, this has not always been the case. And I hope that going forward, this can be the case that we can look at each other and think, you know what? They choose to do this differently and we choose to do it differently, but we can still work with them and we can agree and we can still do good things for Christ together. Each denomination is just one part of the body. The hand can't say to the eye, get lost, the Josh translation, not exactly, but um, yeah, they can't, they can't just get rid of these, these denominations and discredit them or throw them aside. They're all useful and valuable, and God is working through them to reach people in where they're at. So something worth mentioning that I will say is I don't believe all denominations that claim to be Christian today are, in fact, Christian. There are some denominations, I won't name any of them, that don't hold to the scriptural truths anymore. They begin to take a more cultural approach that's more culturally accepted and twist scripture to match that rather than using scripture to shed light on cultural issues. And I believe once you start doing that and start twisting the word of God, you're becoming more of a cult than you are a denomination. So whatever church you do end up attending in the future or here, of course, this is a Bible-believing church. I know that because, well, I went to youth group here. It's a very, very good church. Not trying to tell your church is this or that. No, it's it's it, this place is great. Yes, um, just make sure that if that the church you you do attend or you attend in past or future wherever God may lead you is a Bible believing church and that they are functioning with the spirit of unity. Because well, my own personal experience with this, I'll I'll share a bit. It's like this. See, before college, I had an us versus them mentality. I went to Kootenai Christian Fellowship. Down just down the road, and I went to the youth group here. And I've had people in my life come to me asking and saying, Josh, why are you going to the youth group here? Why don't you start a youth group at your own church or you attend that one only? You ought to support your own local church. Well, all my friends would go here, and I wanted to be with my friends. And I've had people say as well, Josh, why are you going to the uh, evangelical denomination uh, youth retreats? There are ones in our denomination that, will, that are awesome as well. But, and again, my friends are going to this other one and I wanted to go with them. So because of some voices of influence in my life, maybe speaking these things, I started to view, okay, it's us versus them. It's our denomination versus their denomination and what they're doing for Christ. I want to primarily support mine, but I can't support this one too much because I got to be loyal to my denomination. And while there is some truth, don't go randomly going all over church hopping, church or church surfing, you should be committed and loyal to a church. You shouldn't view them antagonistically either. So after going to Bible college, the college I go to is non-denominational. It's affiliated with the FCA, that's the Fellowship of Christian Assemblies as a denomination, but it isn't advertised as only people from those churches go here. We've had people from Lutheran churches, Baptist churches, and while you're at college, they endorse all sorts of different denominational churches for you to attend while you're there. 
And after experiencing this, we also went on tour as well. Tour for the college that we were at looks like this. The college would arrange for that, call different churches in all across BC and arrange for us to travel to the church. They'd house us and they'd feed us and we'd do service projects for them in return. And then we keep traveling along. We did this for two weeks. I went from the college in Alberta to Victoria and back doing these sorts of activities and service projects. And you, got to, you get to see a lot of different denominations and how they do church. And so after experiencing this, my mentality shifted from it's us versus them to it's us and them in Christ. It's our denomination and their denomination working for a same common goal. And I encourage you all to avoid this pattern of thought that happened in my life and to recognize that there, this, there is a lot of unity in the body of Christ. And that while we all choose to do church differently, there is no Christ of the Baptist church or Christ of the Pentecostal church. There's just Christ and we're all extensions of that. And so with that, I'd like to close with Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. It says this. There's, oh, give me a second here. Um, it says this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So yes, God is with all of us and there's one body of Christ. That includes all the denominations as well that are following the word of God as it is revealed to us. So with this, I'd like to just close in prayer and I'd like to invite Lydia and the worship team up to close us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the beauty that you present in the, in the denominations, how so many diverse people and cultural groups can all come together under Christ and worship one God while we choose to may all do it differently and we don't get along all the time. God, you are good and you are evident and your light is shone through this diversity. So God, I just pray that you continue to work and use the church as you have been throughout history. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.